Welcome back to the Fried Egg Podcast. Here is part two of our podcast with Roberto Castro. If you missed part one, check it out and enjoy. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. So uh, how, how do you go about setting up your schedule? I, you know, this year you're you're coming in with WebStats, so it's a little bit different than when you're you know you've kept your card and you're and you you've got full status on on tour. How how do you? Yeah, I think I've done a terrible job of scheduling for most of my career. So I'm <laughs> I'm learning uh, learning how to do that maybe at a very late stage in my career. But yeah, I'm pretty much just taking a chunk at a time. So like West Coast, and then. Florida swing and then summer, see what I get into, see what I don't. But, you know, I got two little ones at home. So the, the days of hauling off for, you know, five, six weeks in a row are over, but I think it's going to help me because I think the biggest dumbest, some of the dumbest things I've done is, you know, play too much and kind of chase it and just think about it the wrong way. So, you know, I'm hoping to play like 20 times this year. And, you know, I, I kind of did that, Last year, I was like, I'm going to play X number of tournaments and I need to get to, you know, a certain dollar amount to do this or, and, and if I don't, I don't like that's, that's the, uh, that's the crux of it. Not whether I played enough, I'm not going to look back on the year and be like, I should have played two more. It's like, no, you should have played better if that, if I don't accomplish what I want to accomplish. So it's, it's helped me. I think it's going to help me, you know, really make the most of every week. It's a, my, my coach, John Tillery said the funniest thing to him is going to tour events and guys coming into lunch on Thursday and, and it's like, how'd you do? Well, one over one under, like they just think it's another week where you're playing for $7 million. And those aren't like the best players. The best players like look at every week as a huge opportunity to win. And they, you know, they have such like a high energy level every week. Um, but it's like, you become totally desensitized to, you know, if you took a kid out of college and you were like, Hey, I'm going to give you a spot at whatever Houston open playing for 7 million that kid's going to build like his whole month or two months around the one week where he can play for 7 million, but you get on tour and you just like totally become, you know, you lose the, you lose the focus. Uh, that's happened to me a lot. So I'm trying to do better with the scheduling. It's a, it's like a fascinating aspect of it. It's, you know, I, I get into that with work. Like I, you know, I, I worked so many hours on this stuff that like, I just got a, I had a break and, you know, now I feel like rejuvenated and it, it feels like good. And it's like the same thing you get into with golf is, is if you, if it's there every day and you, you know, it, it doesn't, you, you lose a little bit of that, you know, the specialness of it. it it's, it, that's a, that's a great point because like when you're in an amateur level, you know, which is where everybody's coming from, there's only like 10 to 12 really big tournaments in a, you know, in a summer or a year. Right. And those are the ones you gear up for. Yeah. Yeah. Managing your excitement and your energy level is a challenge out there because Hey, every every week is a good opportunity. (laughs) You you haven't always been with John Tillery. You, you switched to him recently, right? Or in the last four four years, four and a half years ago. Okay. What's it like? I worked with, go ahead. What, uh, so what's it like, uh, making swing changes or changes like that when you're at the PGA tour level? Uh, it's a good question. You know, I never like rebuilt it or did anything like that. I mean, when I, my kind of first half on tour, I worked with my coach that was through college and, uh, through like many tours, web.com. And we had, I mean, I played a ton of good golf working with him and, you know, I just kind of felt like I was working on the wrong stuff and just got to a point where like, you know, kind of getting the same lesson, but getting the same, you know, poor results. Um, so when I went to John, it was just a different lesson. Um, and you know, we've, I mean, it's been great, been great working with him, but it was never like, buddy, you gotta, you know, you gotta go in a hole for three months and, and rebuild this thing. Um, you know, the, I, I played at Pinehurst, the U S open and I just hit it so bad. I mean, I couldn't, 
with a couple holes left on Friday, I like actually could have made a birdie or two and made the cut, but I was all over the map. And the next week I went and saw John for the first time. And then I went to congressional the following week and I finished like 30th, you know? So like I went from not hitting it, hitting it terrible to like playing a really hard golf course pretty well just on that one lesson. So, you know, I, I think if you're a reasonably good player, you shouldn't have to like get worse before you get better. I, I don't believe in that, but that, you know, maybe that's just been my experience. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's interesting. It's like once you reach a certain level, you're so talented. You guys are all so talented at that level that it's like, you know, making a small change. You you clearly don't, most people don't need to rebuild everything if you made it to the PGA tour. Right. What's what's more frustrating playing like that week you played at, at Pinehurst where you, you couldn't hit, you know, couldn't even hit the ball or the weeks where you hit it great and you missed the cut. Oh, I've had plenty of those too. Um, that's way more frustrating to hit it good and putt bad. Yeah. Way yeah. more frustrating. <laughs> So, yeah, I agree with that too. It's, uh, so so you, uh, your dad is from Peru and your mom's from Costa Rica, um, which is the other way, but yeah, okay. my, my mom's Peruvian. My dad's Costa Rican. My bad. I've, I've got a mild form of dyslexia, I think <laughs> self-diagnosed. Um, <laughs> so, it, you know, it's, it's, it, you've got a, you know, two immigrant parents, and then, uh, you know, you're playing PGA Tour golf. Both your brothers played college golf. Like, was your, were your parents golfers? Or, like, where, where did this golfing uh, gene come from? Yeah, good question. My, it's all my mom's side of the family. Uh, my, my grandparents played for, like, the national amateur team in Peru. They were lifelong golfers. And my aunt is a college – she's in the College Golf Hall of Fame and played 15 years on the LPGA Tour – and that's all on my mom's side of the family, but really my, neither of my parents played, but my grandparents were, you know, avid golfers and we would spend the summers with them in Houston or, uh, mostly just spending all summer with them. And they, they took us out. And from when I was tiny, you know, little, we actually lived in the same place when we were, when I was little, but I mean, just totally fortuitous, you know, I mean, the, you know, you read the, you know, these books about like, you know, outliers or this or that, or, you know, you read, profiles of musicians and you know dad always played in a band mom was a you know my you know every musician like their parents aren't cpas and lawyers most of the time right <laughs> and uh so i was so lucky you know now that i have two little kids like it, i can see how lucky i was you know my coach tillery he has a, two boys that are you know like five and seven or six and eight and you know i, I played nine holes with them a couple weeks ago and and John was like, dude, you don't understand what it took to get to this point where like they remember to grab their wedge and they don't like just go off, the, you know, like to get, you know, to get around nine holes and with two kids that know how to play. And, you know, parents are really busy, even if, and even if you take your kid out, you know, on the weekend or whatever, my grandparents took me every single day when I was a, when I was a kid, you know, my grandmother would take us during the day and then we'd come home and, you know, cool off or hang out at the pool. And then my grandfather would come home from work and we'd play at six o'clock at night till dark. And that was every day for three months during the summers. And that's what it takes. You know, that's like, it's, it was just so, so lucky to have that. And, you know, you, you need, uh, you know, it takes a environment's a huge thing. And I, golf was the one that I grew up in. And, you know, now that I, I mean, the older I get, the more I just realize that like, three or four things along the way of my career from being a little kid to, to now were just like huge breaks, you know, like my coach that I mentioned before, Jeff Patton through college and mini tours and my first couple of years on tour. I mean, he spent like hundreds of hours with me uh, cause he was the director of golf at golf club of Georgia where we played and he had some flexibility and he was insanely generous and, I mean, hundreds of hours, thousands of hours over those six or eight years. And without that, I don't think I would have improved to the point where I could have played on the tour. So, you know, a lot of those things just have to have to go your way. And for me, my family background was uh, was one of those. Yeah, it, it it's because you it's almost like you learned. 
it's like when say say like my dad tells me to do something when I'm a kid like you you don't always they're always telling you stuff to do but like having that outside outside influence I can imagine is like so much more valuable being able to play with somebody that's outside of your nuclear family that that gets how to play golf too yeah yeah it uh it's huge I mean that's why you can improve a lot in college you know you go to a team where surrounded by people that are trying to do the same thing and you have a game every day um or just the right club you know like tillery said that you know the research shows like you either need like proximity or like a parent so like you either like live next door to like a golf course or a tennis court or whatever right or you you have like a parent or a family member that's like you know really involved in that sport and like i had both you know we played at a court nearby and i mean a lot of things have to go right to uh to get in a position to, you know, kind of be at the top level of something. Yeah. It's, it's, you read it about entrepreneurs. It's, it's like, there's, there's obviously like the great idea, but then there's a ton of hard work and a lot of luck that goes into like almost everybody's success. Oh, totally. Uh, Tons of luck. So you're pretty, uh, it seems like you, you think a lot about the game and, and you, you also, one of the things you value is like uh, balance, but what would you, what do you, what do you do when you're on the road for a week? Like when you're not at the golf course? Cause how, like, I can't imagine you're spending like 10 hours a day at the course. No, no. Um, yeah, if my family's traveling, you know, I'll hang with them, but if not, really just read a bunch of stuff, you know, I mean, some magazines, you can kind of go down like the internet wormhole of, you know, following articles and, uh, you know, as much as people like to knock on social media, you know, if you use it the right way, it can lead you to like a ton of great knowledge. Um, and I, I mean, really in the last couple of years, I've kind of gotten more into like, you know, reading about golf or learning about it. I'm not traditionally, you know, a golf junkie. I think that, you know, this stuff just didn't exist before, like you were doing the fried egg and, you know, people were talking about this stuff on social media. I mean, I don't know where you went to find this stuff. Um, and you know, I think about that with golf courses a lot too. It's like, I've played so many great golf courses. And again, I'm like a lot of them. I was a 19 year old kid that like, you know, didn't appreciate how good he had it. But on the other hand, it was like, yeah. So I went to play Cypress point when I was 20, but like, unless I like had a book on Cypress point, or like, you know, you couldn't like do any like research before, like read about it or this or that. Now, if I'm going to play Sand Hills, I can read like 10 articles that you wrote or whoever wrote and find out like what the story was, who the architect was, how it was. That didn't exist for most of my career. Um, so that, you know, that may be whatever. But I, I mean, I go all over the map when I'm on the road. I don't really watch shows. I just don't have like the attention span for it. I'd rather like flip between magazines and articles and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's a, do you, it's, it's interesting. Do you, do you think about like stuff you read about non golf related and try and apply it to golf? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think there's tons of tons of overlap, whether it's like, you know, kind of like what success literature, like how to make it, you know, not really self-help stuff, but you know, even if you just read like a profile of somebody of how they, how they achieved what they achieved, there's a lot of overlap with golf. I just read you're a Chicago guy. Are you a Wilco fan? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I dabble. I'm not like a, I'm not like a diehard. It it wouldn't be my like a first concert I'd go see, but I, I enjoy their music. Yeah. So I just read, you know, his, he just came out with a, you know, memoir autobiography and, you know, guy lives on the road a lot. It's a lot of, you know, overlap, but there's a, I don't know. It's funny that when I'm like playing, when I'm like energized about things that have nothing to do with golf, like, like you said, when I go home to the golf, to the hotel in the afternoon, if I spend like three hours, like in high energy mode, like reading and maybe I'll write something or I'll, you know, find a new book and like burn through half of it. That's when I'm like playing well. It's like an overall energy level. When I, I'm just like, I don't know what to do this afternoon. And I maybe like veg out to a movie or like, I'm just bummed about being on the road. I don't play well. Like, and I think that's, you know, kind of that just like rhythm of, you know, human rhythm of like being in a highly productive state versus not to me, it carries over away from just your, 
you know, your actual job. It's uh, yeah. The balance, you know, it's like the, it, it, everything in life, it's all about balance. You can't be just a one dimensional person. I feel like, and like learning oh. about other stuff is so important to, to, because you can learn from other people that are doing completely different things. That's a, I feel like I, I grew up caddying and that's something I learned from caddying was like, you know, I'd be, you know, I was, I was a high school player, a good high school player. And, and I'd be caddying for these like 25 handicaps and they'd say something about the game of golf. And I'd be like, huh, oh, never thought of it that way. And it would help me, you know? Yeah. It's uh. so it, what, it, do you ever think about, uh, you know, post career, like what, what you would like to do? You know, obviously you're, yeah, you're still I, I young. Think, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not quite aging out yet, but yeah. I'm also not, uh, not that excited to see all these, you know, Cameron champs that show up every year. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah. I mean, I think about it. I, I don't know. I, I love golf. Uh, there's, you know, interesting things to be done in golf, but I also could see myself going in a completely different direction. Um, you know, I think, like I said earlier, I, guys, guys, careers on tour, I think you're going to see more of the, if you're kind of like the average tour player, more of guys playing from 25 to 35. And if you're a superstar, you know, playing from 20 to 30 or 20 to 40, if you're a superstar, but everyone loves to point out the outliers as to what's possible. Well, Stricker played till he's 50. It's like, yeah, but there's outliers in every field. That doesn't mean that anyone can do it. You know, it's like David Tom's kept his card till he's 50. It's unbelievable. First of all, but the number, you know, you're talking about like two, three guys in the last Davis love, whatever. There's yeah. three or four guys in the last like 10 years that could, that could do that. So I don't see myself, I mean, it's it's just going to be so difficult in this in this landscape to just you know play that you know ten years when you're just like yeah I mean it's not my prime but I'll just stay on tour that's not really going to be an option for most guys. <laughs> hey, you never know though. You might uh, might might something might click and it could just completely change us. I don't know. You could be an outlier. Yeah. No. Totally. <laughs> so, and like I said, when I look back at how many dumb things I've done in my career like it's crazy to like start this year feeling like i actually might know what i'm doing as far as like you know some of the scheduling stuff and just not making the obvious mistakes that i've made in the past that i actually feel like um there could be some some really good stuff ahead let me let me ask you a question i i i know this moment vividly for what's the worst shot you've ever hit in your competitive career god great question Just like bad shot, like like I can think like, of like the like the, I, like given the circumstance, like where where like you know you could be it could have been like you you just made seven birdies in a row and just like hit this complete awful like I I think about it I so I I in high school golf I I I played really well in our regional I get in the sectional I'm like the last tee time I'm paired with some really high profile players that played D one golf and like the first tee. I, I laid sod over like an iron off the tee. It hit like seven inches behind the ball. The worst shot I've ever had in my life. Oh man, that's great. <laughs> I remember like four putting at a high school regional on the last hole for our team to miss by like one or something. I that was not good. Uh, I was playing with Chris Kirk that day and he like barely rolled out of, looked like he like didn't raise a finger and shot like 63. So that made it extra discouraging. Um, Gosh, I don't, I don't know about like the situation. I can picture some bad shots. So like that Pinehurst par five at us open, it's like number five or something that like yeah. that long one that goes up to the left. I mean, I hit one a hundred yards right off the tee, a hundred <laughs> yards, right. And I somehow like hit the last pine tree on the road over there and stayed in play, but just like shots like that, you know, maybe not, that was probably a pretty low pressure situation because I was probably just outside the cut anyway. But there's some, you know, everyone has those though. Everyone has, if you stay in this game long enough, you're going to take some pretty bad licks. That's just part of it. Yeah. At least it's not like a, a shank off a tee, you know? That's, yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's... I played, I played with, uh, yeah, I got memories of other guys, you know, like some of the shots they hit or good or bad. 
Yeah. But it's, it's never so situational. It's just like purely the shot that they hit, you know. You uh you want to do uh some overrated underrated? Yeah. All right. Sure. I haven't done this in a while. So, so uh, overrated underrated putting with the pin in. I think it'll prove to be underrated. Are you gonna putt with the pin in? I think a lot of guys will outside of twenty or thirty feet. Yeah, and I think I will. Yes. Do you? Let me ask you a question. <laughs> I I feel like. Bryson's chops with his like you know testing are very overrated. Like you you went to an academic institution for engineering. Do you do like testing like like if you no right no yeah no and and look you can you know I don't know how deep into the weeds he gets but like for something to be like statistically significant. You got to do more than like 10 shots on a track man. You got to do, you know, I mean, I don't know those formulas in my head anymore, but, you know, hitting 10 putts against the pin and seeing that eight go in and two don't go in is not statistically significant. That's, I mean, you can call it that, but it's not. <laughs> I think I remember from like a statistics course, it's like 1600 is like the minimum sample size for something to be statistically significant. Yeah, I I, you're probably right. I don't remember. I, I'm just so so confused though about like the disconnect between like scientists that are actually scientists and then like like the FedEx Cup. This is ten years old news, but the year that like VJ won before the Tour Championship, okay, and then the next year it was like super way too volatile, <laughs> and they're like, "Look, well, it took us a while to get it right," and I'm just thinking like I had professors in college. This is strictly an industrial engineering problem. It's just a math problem. Like it's a modeling problem. You can, I had professors and TAs and grads, you know, PhD students. Like, I just feel like with a $50, you could have given them to some PhD at Georgia tech and they could have modeled the FedEx cup. Like I had an instructor in a math class who was like, he was getting his PhD. And I was like, what do you do with this job? Like, what are you going to do with this stuff we're learning? He's like, well, you can make a model of like whether it's you know financially feasible to for Boeing to develop and build a new jet. So you're talking about like building an equation with 150 variables in it to figure out, you know, because like this new Dreamliner, like it's going to be in production for like 30 or 40 years. Like, does it make sense? Cost benefit? How did we not get the FedEx Cup right? You know, like yeah. I just don't understand how we didn't like get some Stanford Georgia Tech PhD to run like a million models of this so that VJ couldn't win the damn thing before it even started. That's just so confusing to me, but you know, maybe they did and maybe the tech guy got it wrong. I don't know. What, uh, what do you think of the new system? I think it's great. I think it's great. And to, to give my, uh, I got a buddy who's been like touting this exact system for like 10 years and he's completely vindicated by the tour doing it. Um, I think it's good. I think people can understand it. Every, you know, you should have to win the last tournament. You should have to win the last tournament to win the championship. But so it's not winning. That, but it's not winning if you start with a lead. Yeah, but it's consumable. It's consumable to the fan. I think it's great. I mean, should it count as an official win if you start? Who cares? Ahead of, but oh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. This is you. The, you're talking. Say, say you win that. Say somebody wins this and they pass somebody else that played in a different era for career wins. You know, someone might look at that 20 years from now and say, hey, this guy had a better career. He had more career wins. And, and two of them could come from an event where he started with a lead. Yeah, I don't care. All right. Hey. I don't I, You know, I just don't care. What do you think about match play? I just don't have much experience with it. I think it's, I think it's what most people play. They play Nassau's at home. Um you know, it just doesn't work in professional golf because you lose half your stars every round. So it's tough, you know. My idea for the tour championship would you, you do match play and you play out all the 32 spots. So you, you instead of 30, you got 30 guys in there and you play the matches all the way through one through 32. So like there's a 31 versus 32 match on Sunday, just like there's a one versus two match. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could if Dustin and Spieth are playing the 31-32 match, like that's a marquee matchup, but 
you got to watch the guy that's going to win 15 million, right? That's the one people are going to want to watch. Well, all of them are, are there's something being played for all of them. Like, and that, that's the thing. It's like, why do people go watch people? There's, if you go to somebody's club championship, there's like 150 people watching the club championship. It's an easy way to follow golf. Like match play is so much easier for the casual fan. Like I, I told this story on my other pod. It's like, you know, I went to the, after the after the match. I went to the bar, and all my all my buddies aren't golfers. They're all like my co- you know they're my college buddies. None of them are. They're all casual golfers. And and I go to the bar, and they never ask me uh, about golf unless it's the Masters, you know. And I get to the bar, and all of them are just asking me how the match was. Like, and this is moments after I'm never seen, but it's so easy for them to understand match play. Yeah. You're talking about the Tiger Phil? Yeah. Did you watch that? I watched the front nine. What'd you think? I thought it as a general, like the date is perfect. And I think like a pay-per-view TV golf event is also has a ton of potential. I thought that particular iteration of it was pretty rough. Yeah. I thought they did like the, the idea is brilliant. The execution was horrible, but like just what you said, like you, you were watching all those shells, wonderful world of golf. Yeah. I mean, I was, I had a DVR and was just watching cause I wanted to see the courses back in the day. Yeah. Um, but those are stroke play match play. As a, yeah, those those are weird. You know, Gene Littler got into the woods there at Pine Valley, and we, we almost never saw him again. He made like <laughs> seven on, so that was it. Ball game. <laughs> yeah, that it, that's an interesting thing I think about too. Is like the one thing that match play doesn't ac- account for is like the big number. Yeah, like it, hey, that's you know I, you know I listen to some of your stuff in the conversation about like that's just a perfect example of like professional golf versus just regular golf it you know we're just so indoctrinated to playing 72 hole stroke play and whether it's right and it's just the way it is you know like it doesn't have to be that way forever and you can throw some random events in there but you know the big number is you know all those the way we built professionals have like built their game to be played is to maximize a 72 hole stroke play result so so, so is stroke play overrated or underrated? Um, properly rated. Oh man, can't can't properly rate that. I'm gonna go underrated then. I was gonna also ask: is is Tillery in jeopardy of losing his job to club pro guy? Uh, he yeah. I mean, he's pretty concerned about it. <laughs> he's definitely giving me a discount on my rate just to you know kind of keep me around. So he was worried about losing me. So he said he's going to give me a half off for the first half of next year. So that's nice. All right. Uh, last question. If, if you were a golf fan, what's the PGA tour stop that you would travel to go, go see? That's a great question. And honestly, after my rookie year or maybe my second year when I saw all, you know, by then I'd seen all the stops. I think if you're a golf fan, you should go to one tour event a year because there are really, really cool tour events. If you go in person to any tour event, I think you'll become a golf fan and they all are very different and they have their own personality and they're awesome. They really are like, I mean, you can complain about the wraparound or whatever. And we, you know, I've, I've done it before. And then you go to Napa, it's like golf. We just finished a week ago. It's a joke. And then you go to Napa and there's thousands of people eating, drinking wine, watching golf it's a beautiful setting and you're like all right i get it like these people are they're having the time of their lives out here and they're like halfway watching golf but yeah. you know to answer your question colonial is awesome tory pines is awesome charlotte is awesome um travelers gets a bunch of people um the players is awesome the players is really cool that is a great again, spectating event yeah, they're all different, and the product in person is really, really good. And the, you know, the kind of the personality of the town comes out a little bit. And the, I mean, like San Diego. I mean, I don't know, eighty percent of the people there watch more than like two shots, but it's usually beautiful, and it's just like a culture of like being outside. And it just feels like the, you know, like the winter is like suspended for a minute because you're you're there. It's just great. 
So, sorry, this is one more question. Do you think the player should be a major? No. All right. No, I I don't really care too much about, like, history or this or that. You know, like, the relative comparing the 50s to now, but I think four majors is four majors. I think that's pretty – that's probably where I draw the line as far as, you know, let's keep some things consistent for for comparison's sake. I have a question for you, though. All right. Do you think that, like, listening to the, you know, the architecture junkies like yourself and your whole crowd, do you think that the Doke and the Core Crenshaw and the Gil Hans, do you think it's just the current, like, I feel like you're convinced that, like, it's just better now, and, like, now they're getting it right. Whereas, like, in the 80s and 90s when it was, like, Fazio and Nicholas, don't you think you would have been like, look, Fazio's building these great golf like. Do you think 20 years from now, it, is it that different than fashion? Like, are you know, are these courses going to be great forever, or are you just convinced that your current era that these guys are getting it right? So this is a great question. Um, I think obviously, like anything, there's trends. But if you look at the greatest golf courses in the world, they embody a few core ca- characteristics. Like they're extremely. There's like most of the great golf courses have width, right? Augusta is really wide. It's almost impossible to lose a golf ball, um, except for like the, the couple ponds, you know? Um, the, so from that standpoint, like these guys kind of design with the principles of, you know, the greatest architects of all time. I think at the end of the day, golf architecture is extremely simple. And the toughest skill for an arch- that for an architect to have is actually restraint. So, like doing less is more. And I think the minimalist approach to it, like like why is St Andrews, like arguably the greatest golf course in the world? Like it's like also, and it was done when people knew so little. There, there's another whole thing with like amateurs, like designing golf courses. Like Hugh Wilson designed Marion. He he never designed another golf course. Uh, you know, look at Crump at Pine Valley, Founds at, at Oakmont. Like all these guys did, it was their first course. And uh, so I think like at the end of the day, I think like there's there's a lot of things with like the naturalness that they do, these golf courses where they aren't, they're very sympathetic to the land. Like something that bugs me is like, you know, when you go to like say a Fazio or a Jones course is like the you know, they, they had the earth moving capabilities and they did almost too much where, you know, you have these, like you have containment mounting that blocks like your long views of the golf course, like little things like that are really like my pet peeves, but I think the trends are going to change and and there's going to be a new wave of architects, just like, you know, there's this new wave of golfers. Like, I don't know what the next wave of golf architect texture is going to be like what the next trend is going to be but there's certainly going to be a new trend if i knew what the next trend was was going to be i'd I'd quit my job and become a golf architect um but yeah they i mean they are like essentially I, i i don't know i think the principles that they use and are the key ones though like the the strategic nature of a lot of their holes like it's a blend of of the three schools of like you know some holes are going to be penal some holes are heroic but the vast majority of them have strategy. And at your level, the strategy doesn't really matter because we talked about it is like you hit it so far that, you know, you have wedge in your hand. It doesn't matter what angle you have when you have wedge in your hand as much. Okay. That leads into another question. So if at my level, the guys hit it too far and they're too good for the strategy to matter. I'm confused as to like who it's for, because everyone I play with, and whether they're avid, like they're not good enough to play strategy. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's I mean, say, I read this like stuff and I'm like, even my buddy who's like a 10, who's like a good player, like he can't hit it down the left or the right side of the fairway. He's just trying to hit it in the fairway, like anywhere in the fairway, even if it's a huge fairway. So I'm confused as to like who the whole, like the whole, like, you know, you know, cottage industry around this stuff is like, for what, like a high level mid amateur? I'm just confused who's like taking it's, this stuff. Like, it's actually like a fascinating thing. Is it? So, like, here's a here's something. What about a lady? Like, what about your aunt? 
probably has the ball on a string but hits it low. Yeah. That or a senior player strategy is like paramount to them. Like I can tell and my mom isn't, she's a, I don't know, probably like a, probably like an 18 handicap, but she hits it. No, she hits it 150 yards. Like, and, and this is kind of what bugs me when I get in arguments with some like super statistical people is like, you know, angle of approach really matters for somebody that can't put a ton of spin on the ball or doesn't have wedge in their hand. Like, that's like a perfect example. Your buddy who's a 10 handicap, if he's got 220 from a disadvantaged angle, he'd be way better off just hitting it short left of a green that stays on the right side of the fairway to a green that goes left to right. He'd be way better off playing it left and then chipping up it from there, you know? Yeah, I, understanding when you're in a, in a position to attack versus a position where you have really no shot is obviously very important for somebody the less skilled you are. Yeah. So you know, and you can try and like, listen, like I think this is a misconception too. Is people think like I'm saying like, hey, you need to hit the ball down the left, aim down the left edge of the fairway. That is not what I. That's not the way I play. Is like what I do is I'll I'll look at it and say okay like and you know, I hit the ball three hundred yards it's like I'll look at the hole and say okay like I should aim down the left center of the fairway here because I'd rather be in the left rough than the right edge of the fairway. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. You're saying if you're not necessarily trying to go there, if you end up there, you play accordingly from there. It's um, a, it's just opening yeah. and and it gives. So, like, here's the other aspect that I think this is what I think is the most beautiful thing about golf architecture, right? So, if you would have asked me four years ago before I started the Fried Egg, like, I played golf for score. Like, I was trying to compete in state AMs. I was trying to, you know, get into USGA events. That's that's why I played golf. Like, I took right. it took it seriously. Since I got, I you know, I always was interested in architecture growing up. I read about it, like, you know, a ton. I'd read books like once I started this and started writing about architecture, like all of a sudden, like why I played the game has completely shifted. I don't keep score. I have more fun on the golf course than I've ever had before in my life. Like I care. I like enjoy playing so much more because like, you know what? If I shoot 83 or 67, it doesn't matter to me. And yeah, I love that. And like I go out there and I enjoy being outside. I enjoy walking. I enjoy looking. And I like, you know, like why do people go on architectural boat tours when they go to Chicago? Like you're learning stuff. You're seeing stuff. And like I'm way more observant of what's going on around me rather than just what I'm doing. And I think that's like the the most amazing thing about golf is that like really for 99% of the the population. And this is what I think the, one of the American golf's biggest problems is, is that like you shouldn't care about score. You should care about being outside, being with your friends. Like I played national golf links with a hickory driver and a blot of ball. And I played with guys that were in the range of 12 to 15 handicaps. Like I played when I played other times at national, like it was like driver wedge everywhere. I'm playing Hickory and Bellata and I'm playing the members tees and I'm hitting it into the same spots as these guys. And what I noticed most was how much more conversation was being had because I wasn't walking 60 yards ahead of them. Yeah. It's, I don't know. That's to me, architecture just adds another facet to the game that makes it so much more enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I don't I like that. Do you don't, the only other, uh, the only other thing that I see playing in proams that is, I do, I do think that this current generation has not. I just see amateurs; their hole is over when they get in a bunker, like they cannot get out of the bunker, and that's one thing that I think, like you know, the Fazio and the Nicholas courses with cart paths and neighborhoods and deep bunkers and you know all this stuff that's really kind of proving to be, you know, unsustainable or expensive or both, uh, this current, you know, like I've seen all these pictures of a Hopi match club and it looks unbelievable, but like, how do people get out of the bunkers? See, that's a, that's a, and, and so like a Hoopy, the, the owner's like a, a competitive amateur. 
So like right. that's another thing you have to keep in mind is like who's who's the project for? It's always yeah. there's so many variables that go into the golf course design and and I think oh, like yeah. a lot of times like you know like a lot of time you know what happened in the in the wrong era is like it was like the Hogan effect of of golf like you know to a certain extent these guys don't deserve as much flack as like someone like I give them because like they were yeah. in an era where that was thought to be good. Um, right. In, in like think about like the associated penalty of you going into a bunker versus a 15 handicap. Yeah. It's, you know, that's why I think like they just redid the golf course in my neighborhood, Bobby Jones golf course. And oh, I was going to ask 18. you about that. Yeah. They took it. I have not played it yet. It's literally rained for three straight months since it <laughs> opened. Um, but they took it from nine, 18 holes to nine holes. It's a reversible course with like 70 tee boxes. And you know, they're not like, I think they're just little spots where you can put tees. A lot of them, not necessarily like a defined tee box, but, and it's all fairway. And I think that's a great idea. A, you can keep the ball rolling. You can putt, you can chip, but I've walked around it and there's not that many bunkers. And I'm like, wow, people are actually going to be able to like finish a hole here. And whether you're playing for four or not, people want to finish the hole. And I just play with like, I'm just shocked at how many, decent golfers, avid golfers I play with that I'm like, poor guy, his hole's over. Like he got in his bunker and his hole is over. And, uh, I really think they did a good job with this Bobby Jones here with the all fairway and all, uh, and not that many deep bunkers thing. So that's cool. I wanted to see that. I, I didn't have time the last time I was down there to see it. I'm going to go this spring sometime, but the, um, I think that's like I live the, like 500 yards from there, so hit me up. <laughs> I will. It's uh the that's the thing though is like so like if you built a golf course with minimum uh bunkers and like really interesting green complexes, it's like the perfect thing for a beginner because they could use whatever they can duff it around, right? And then for a good player, like all of a sudden those greens are the defense, and like you have to be in the right spots to to attack like you know I'll, I'll never forget like there was a there's a whole san francisco golf i was playing with zach blair there and uh it's like the it's the 16th hole right so i challenge the bunker on the right and i get around the bunker and into the very right edge of the bunk and he hits it up the left we had never seen the course you know the green sloped hard left to right he had absolutely no chance from the left side to hit the ball within 35 feet of the flag and he had a wedge in his hand right so that's a perfect example of a whole, like the 15, 20 handicap is going to have no clue. You know, it doesn't matter for them really, but for a good player, you have to be up the right and you have to take on this bunker to get the angle in. And this is one of the things, like, I think the biggest problem with modern golf is like people complaining about greens and saying they're unfair. Like, like the greens that Mackenzie built at Augusta national would never get built today because people would say they're unfair. And those are oh, that's, dude, what, if, that's what makes the, the golf course. I mean, if the if the if a regular tour event had greens and put pins where they put them at the Masters, no one would go play. Why? They're just so extreme. They're so severe. But it's the Masters, so it's awesome. See, that's that's what drove me nuts but, about Trinity Forest is they were moving tees up to take centerline bunkers out of play. They were moving tees up on par threes so that like the, the, the tour players like have an adverse effect to like the idea of having to aim away from something to get it close to something. Yeah. I hear you. I don't know about the bunkers, but I will say that, you know, this it's, it's a, it's a circle with no, uh, no solution, but the, I don't know about the bunkering, like I said, but the greens, the other thing that nobody thinks about is getting 156 guys around the golf course or even 144 yeah. or even 90. I mean, the rounds in the masters take five hours and 40 minutes because, and that's with 90 players, right? So I played at Pinehurst in the U S open and in the practice rounds, like whoever it was, Horschel or Cooch or someone was like, look, after round one, 12 GIRs will be leading the field. And he was right. The practice rounds, the greens were really firm. And you could stripe every shot and not hit more than 12 greens. And we got out there on Thursday, and I hit it down the middle on the first hole, and I spun an eight iron back off the green. They had watered the green so much. And it was disappointing, and it was much easier. And Keimer obviously played great and shot low scores. 
But dude, if you leave them firm like that, you take, it takes six hours and 20 minutes to get around that golf course because you're playing for a U.S. Open championship and 10 million bucks. So if you're playing like for fun with your buddies, even if you're keeping score and you chip it across a green a couple of times, it's no big deal. But guys are so good and there's so much at stake that if you're having to like, you know, not put it off the green, it takes forever. And that's a, that's a really tough thing that professional golf has to deal with that nobody ever talks about is to make it hard for players of the tour level. It's so hard that it takes so long to play. <laughs> it's a problem. There's no solution to that. I mean, it's tough, you know? So, so here's something that goes into pace of play that tour players. And I think the tour never thinks about is the, the distance that the ball is traveling now is also causing pace of play and look no further than Riviera, which is now like an essentially an invitational, the LA open, one of the greatest, most historic events of all time has now be, been reduced to a limited field, small field event because of distance. Like now every single player in the field goes for 10 off the, off the 10th tee. Every player is waiting on 11. Every player is yeah. waiting on 17. And that adds so much time to the round that that's why the the young players aren't don't get the opportunity to play Riviera as rookies. Yeah, the days are so short. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's another part of the pace of play. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's just a huge it's a huge issue. That 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 uh day at Sawgrass where the greens turned like 18 on the stint meter took 6 hours to play those rounds, you know? <laughs> it's like okay, so that was probably a little bit much, but like you know, when you're talking about this conversation about like, well, do you do golf national? Do you make the greens faster? Do you, you know, Augusta's protected themselves with really severe greens and really tough pin placements and the rounds take a long time, you know? What, um, what about slower and, greens with, with more interesting pins, more well, severe? That, that's what, that's what Shinnecock was really good this, you know, this summer. I only played Thursday, Friday, uh, played pretty well missed the cut by one whatever but um you know the greens were like nine or ten on the stamp and it was windy and they had some tough pins and it was all good you know and then they just put two pins too close which you know was a whole nother story but <laughs> but yeah you know the, that's like what Sheen said the whole thing about golf course conditioning has gotten out of control you know i mean that's why i've played two british opens and to me they just hit a home. It's a 10 out of 10 over there. You know, I played at Burkdale, which is, you know, one of the two or three best tournament courses I've ever played. Mm-hmm. It was so awesome. And Harrington won there 10 years before at three over par and Stephen Cooch, you know, it was pretty like, you know, crappy on like Thursday for a while. Otherwise the weather was pretty good. I got to like, and you know what? We cared. They didn't move the pins and they didn't speed the greens up and they didn't bring in the rough or move it out. The course is just the course and you just go play. And I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's that's, I think that's one of the biggest problems and in it's partially like from Augusta, but like in the agronomics, like have just gotten better. But to me, I don't, I don't know how you think about this, but I, I think slow greens actually, enhance the skill of putters like the better putters putt better on slower greens yeah i agree with you on the putting the the best putters put the best strike on it and a lot of those guys grew up on really slow greens you know like russell henley grew up in like bermuda you know south georgia and like just puts the most beautiful like strike on his putts and i don't know what kind of greens ricky grew up on but that like you know the hit he puts on putts is just unbelievable i don't think yeah he grew up on a muni I think. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, uh, I agree with you. Yeah. So slower greens, more interesting pins, you know, we're just fixing all of golf's problems. Yeah. I just, it's like whack-a-mole, you know, like you just fix one problem and you have another, you know, like I, I wasn't at Trinity forest, which we talked about. And I think maybe it was you or someone that was like, you know, they made it soft and like, it didn't play hard and fast. And like, and they put the pin, it's like you start putting those pins three off the runoffs and you're it, you can't finish. It takes five hours and 50 minutes for a, uh, for a tour guy that has to put everything out. You know, you can't just like whack it up the slope twice and then pick up, 
Like, it's a totally different deal. Tournament golf is so different. It's tough, man. It's tough. It's tough to set it up. And, um, so, you know, so they, how, how do you, how do 15 handicaps get around Trinity forest in, in firmer and faster conditions, get around it in less than four hours and PGA tour players can't get around it in less than five and a half. When because they pick up or well, they just putt and it doesn't matter. They just play fast because it doesn't matter. I, 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 isn't pay, I mean, like, what do you think about pace of play on the tour? Like the fact that it's actually not enforced, the r- rule in golf isn't enforced. I think pace of play on tour is talked about more than it needs to be because I think if you came out on a weekend where you were playing twosomes, yeah. I think you'd be shocked at how fast the pace of play it's is. It's like four hours on, in twosomes on weekends. but like Yeah, that's pretty good on a hard golf course. But like, why aren't players penalized when they take like three minutes to hit a shot? Because I just don't think it happens that often. So they're not really like, you know, there's, you know, the whole like JB in the middle of the 18 fairway. Why do we talk about that? Because it's a rare thing. You don't see that very often. So, 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 so like there's a rule in golf that says you have X amount of time to hit a shot, right? Right. I, I don't know what the exact number is, but there's a rule that says that. So like in, in essence, that's a shot clock. Like, what if the NBA turned off the shot clock? Like, you'd see a lot longer possessions, right? So, like, what right. if, if they enforce the rule, the rounds won't take six six hours? Like that that's a that's a strict problem of like, you know, the players will get mad and the tour won't do it because the players will get mad. But that's a rule that just isn't enforced, and the t- players know that it's not going to be enforced. That's why it takes five and a half hours. You think because guys take more than forty seconds to hit shots, that's why you think it takes five and a half hours? I think it's one of them. Like, look at look at like. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, Patrick Cantley, you know, they people sat and counted how long it took. He stood stood over the ball after his pre shot routine for thirty to forty seconds for an entire yeah. round. You know, like that's yeah, that's that's like a two to three minute shot. Like, I think the combination of distance, if if, if players just took if. If they don't have to wait, you know, the I, one thing's waiting, right? But like, if it, if they took the amount, the allotted amount of time, you know, it it would speed up the rounds immensely. It's like traffic jam, right? It, it wouldn't though, because there's 156 guys with just too many people on a golf course. Yeah, it would. You would just you would just play faster to wait more. That's all you would do. That's interesting, but that that goes to like if if it's properly, yeah. I guess like yeah, because you can't fit. Uh, all right, I'll agree. You're. I'm gonna I mean, give look, you this field, argument. Field size, yeah. Like, the field it, size I mean, is a big problem. And yeah, because like a, 15 minute per hole. Say it was if the tee times were blocked out 15 minutes, then you wouldn't have a problem. But then you couldn't get 156 guys around. Right now you're playing 120 fields, and that's not you know. So field size is a huge issue. Yeah. It's, it's it's a simple reason why you play five and a half hours Thursday, Friday, you tee it up Saturday morning with one less guy, it's twosomes, and you play in 350. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, I mean, sure, there's some slow guys, but, man, it's hard golf courses and it's a lot of dudes. That's really the problem. It's, it's, it's because the – and to a certain extent, they're doctoring the courses to to control the scoring. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the courses are really hard. That's a big, that's a big, huge misconception on the tour because you flip on Golf Channel on Thursday at two in the afternoon and you're like, oh, somebody shot eight under this morning. Yeah, they did, but the golf courses are really hard, and that's you know takes a while to play a hard golf course. So, all right, we I keep saying last question. If you were the commissioner for a day, what's the, like one change you make to the tour? Oh gosh. Um, I think that I don't know. I don't know. One change. Goodness. Um, uh, I would probably say that I would probably just shorten the season by five weeks. That's the only thing I would change. Yeah. Have a little more of an off season. Yeah. I think I think nine I think nine months is a good sports season, you know. Yeah, um, 
I think 11 is, you know, right now we're at basically what a six week, you know, off season. I think it's, I think 10, 10 weeks off would probably be, I think nine months is probably good, you know, but Hey, we're shortening it a little bit as far as like the FedEx and then it just start earlier. So not really, but you know, and supposedly like in 1978, there was 48 events. So this isn't anything new. It's not like we're adding events. It's always been this way, mm-hmm. but that would be my one change. All right. And the last one, one event that you have never played in worldwide could be that you want to play in. I would love to play in, I'd love to play in the match play. The the tour events I've not played is just the match play in Kapalua. And I'd love to play the match play. I haven't played a lot of it and I just think it'd be awesome. Yeah, um, but the one tournament I'd want to go back and play again is the U S amateur. For some reason I played in two of them and, that tournament to me, I like if I had to just go back and play one more tournament and get one more crack at it, it would be that one. I get another match play one. So maybe I'm, you know, making hey. an endorsement there. Hey, for, hey for match play. John Peterson's going to be teeing up in the USAM in uh, like two years. Oh boy. <laughs> Him and me, we're the same. Oh boy. <laughs> so, so, you know, you could still probably play in the USAM. You should just call off the USGA. Peterson, what a guy! He played on the team with my brother at LSU. He's special. Yeah, that's something. So that's uh. But hey, thanks for the time. Uh, I I think uh, a lot of people will have a new guy to root for on tour. Um, and we'll be uh. Where do you kick off at Sony? No, I'm going to Palm Springs. Palm Springs. All right. Yep. The hope. The, yeah. Uh, it's a five rounder the desert yeah. nobody i haven't seen any of you golf junkies do a uh do a good list of what tour guys call the tournaments which i think is hysterical when you're a rookie you have to figure out where the hell everyone's playing because you're in the locker room it's like what are you playing coming up and they're like oh i'm doing the desert and then riv you know like just the alternate names that all the tournaments have are great in my opinion <laughs> what's the, what's the what's the at&t called well, I think if you're a real OG, you call it the clam bake, but no, they just call it pebble. pebble. Everyone just calls it pebble. Yeah. Harbor town's Harbor town, right? Yes. Yeah. Harbor town. And then the desert to me is one of the real, uh, real tour lingo ones. When you, you playing the desert? Yeah, I'll be at the desert. What's Scottsdale? Uh, I don't know. Phoenix. Scott, Phoenix. Yeah, Phoenix. What about yeah. Sony? Sony. Sony. Yeah. It's yeah. been that way for a long time. So. It's kind of interesting, like the best, I, I've always said this, actually, is the best courses, the 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 lingo for the core, for the tournament is the course name. Yeah. Yeah. Like Honda is Honda. Memorial sticks. is Memorial, Jack or Jack's tournament. Yeah, Memorial. Bay Hill. Yeah, there's some, there's some good ones I'm not thinking of, but. What about like uh, Valero? <laughs> I think that one's mostly San Antonio. Houston was always Houston. Yeah, most of the time it's the city, but for some reason, sometimes it's the sponsor. I don't know why. Yeah, you got Detroit and you got Mini. You got two new ones. I'm I'm curious what those are going to be called. Probably just the city. That Detroit course yeah. is going to be cool. It's a, that's I, I'm looking rocks. forward to both of those. It's a dream up there in the summer, those places. That's what boggles my mind is how often the tour goes to places like the worst time to go to them. Like, like this, like this Memphis event in, in the middle, in the, in the end of July. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, is a, it's a head scratcher there because apparently the, you know, FedEx like really wanted to upgrade their tournament. You know, they love Memphis. They love St. Jude, which is understandable. But it's you know it remains to be seen with how jam packed the schedule is basically from like Augusta through the Tour Championship, where the top players like maybe sneak a week off and but it goes straight from the British to the you know 400 degree heat of Memphis, Northern um, Northern Ireland to uh, Royal Portrush to to yeah. TPC Southwind in in July. What I, I love that tournament. That's a sneaky like tournament. People are like, what are your favorites? Memphis is a great tournament. The course is really cool and the people are so nice and the St. Jude factor is, you know, make it, it's really a great tournament. So hopefully they get their, you know, all top 50 or whatever play there. That's fast. You know, uh, 
I, I'm a huge MBA fan, and uh, nice. all the MBA writers and people are always talking about how they love going to Memphis. Like when Memphis was good with with Gasol, Mark Gasol, and and Zebo, they were all everybody was like so excited that the playoff series were in Memphis. Like because they, yeah. it's it's interesting that you you're like you know you confirm that Memphis is a good spot. So yeah. all right, well, uh, Bye, man. hey. Thanks for the time. Uh, we'll keep in touch. Maybe we'll, we'll get you on another in midseason or something. All right, cool. Have a good one. All right, thanks, man.